Good morning. I'm hoping that this morning as uh, we spend time looking at God's Word, it would be like what's just happened for me. Um, in my ever-increasing old age, my eyesight has deteriorated. And um, I now have to wear glasses, as you can see, a lovely pair of glasses. Um, and it's like seeing you all in high definition after having them off whilst I've been wearing my mask. So I pray that that would be like what, when we look at God's Word, that this morning it would be in high definition and that it would really speak to us. So you join us if you haven't been with us um, in our Matthew series. We've picked it back up again. Um, Duncan last week looked at uh, the transfiguration. I encourage you to uh, listen to that sermon back. Um, An amazing story of where Jesus shows his glory to Peter, James and John and shows himself to be um, the Messiah, the Son of God and has a wonderful, powerful encounter um, with God the Father as he speaks. So after that significant spiritual moment, we see Jesus in the passage we're going to look at today. We see him descend from the mountain and he's met by spiritual opposition. Now there's a long biblical precedent of this. We shouldn't be surprised that often where there are moments of spiritual significance, it's then followed by some kind of opposition. We see that with Jesus' baptism, a wonderful moment when Jesus is baptised that is then followed by him being tempted. We also see it at Pentecost, wonderful moment where thousands are saved. Then a few chapters later, Peter and John are arrested for proclaiming their faith. And of course, in Ephesians 6, you might have read it, that we know that we're in a spiritual battle. A battle is against, isn't against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual principalities and darkness. So we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus descends from this significant moment of showing his glory and is then confronted in this way. And as we look at this story of how Jesus is confronted and how he responds, I really want us to grasp today the boldness with which Jesus speaks. We should always pay attention to scripture. All of it is useful and uh, good for us to learn from. But I think sometimes when Jesus speaks in such a bold, emphatic way, Sometimes we can be a bit laid back about it. And I think there's something in us really hearing the way that Jesus speaks so clearly and boldly today. Because if we do that and we try to understand it in the way that it was said, I think we'll really gain some valuable insight today. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 to 23. I'm reading from the NASB Bible version. Um, It will come up on the screen if you haven't got your Bible, so don't worry. Reading from verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say, that, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, 
Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. I'm just going to pray for us. Father God, I pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture today, that you would take my, my, my littleness of my words and that you would, through the Holy Spirit, speak to us powerfully. That you would, just as you have done for our prayers and our worship today, that you would continuing, continue to show us your bigness, your glory, your wonder in the face of our small and little faith. I pray that you would bring that out as we look at this today. Amen. So we see here, just to quickly recap, we see a father. Jesus is confronted by a father that falls before him. And he pleads for his, his son who has seizures that throw him into the fire and water. Very dangerous situations, obviously, that the son is thrust in from these seizures. And it's very clear in verse 18 that the cause of these seizures is because the son is possessed by a demon. Now the disciples have tried to pray and they've obviously not succeeded in casting this demon out and seeing the boy healed. It's important to say that in this story, the physical illness is caused by demon possession. That does not mean in any way, shape or form that every illness of this kind or any other is caused by demon possession. But that is what Jesus is confronted with today. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And Jesus speaks to three groups in this passage. He speaks to three groups very boldly. He speaks to the crowd slash generation. He speaks to the demon and he speaks to the disciples. And these are the three groups we're going to be looking at what Jesus says to them today. So our first point that we're looking, if you, if you like taking subheadings in your notes, the first point is Jesus challenges unbelief. The second is Jesus rebukes the demon. And the third is Jesus calls the disciples to mustard seed-like faith. So let's look at the first of these. Jesus challenges unbelief. So there's two, two areas we're going to look at in terms of the unbelief that Jesus challenges. First of all, he challenges the unbelief of the crowd and the generation and the father. But he also challenges, which we're going to look at after, the unbelief of the disciples. Now, both of, of these, these demonstrations of unbelief, both in their roots, have the same thing. That the crowd and the disciples are not acknowledging Jesus for who he is the Messiah, the Son of God. But they take on slightly different forms because of their relationship with him. But we see here in these verses, in verse 17, we see that Jesus is grieved. He's grieved and frustrated by the lack of belief. He, he, he calls them out, challenges them on their unbelief, and then describes them as a perverse generation. It's perverse to not believe something that has been true to not have belief in something that has been demonstrated. And this is what Jesus has done. If, if you read back in the Gospels and you, you know the story of Jesus, he has time and time again demonstrated who he is. He has done countless miracles throughout his ministry. Breathtaking miracles. Completely astounding miracles that act as signs that point towards who he really is. We also see that Jesus has been involved in amazing divine moments we've just seen one with the transfiguration but think about Jesus's baptism this is a moment where surely these stories would have been retold 
around of, did you hear about this from, from eyewitnesses that were there? Did you see what happened? All of these things point towards Jesus not just being a prophet, not just being a great spiritual healer, a miracle worker, but they point towards something more. They point towards him being the Messiah, the one that the Jews that he was speaking to were waiting for, that would come and save them, would deliver them, but he'd do it in not quite the way they expected. And we also see this in the Father. If you read the Mark's account of this story, we see that the Father says to Jesus, heal him if you can. Sort of an open question, if, if you can. Has he not seen what Jesus has done? Has he not heard about the amazing miracles that Jesus has done before? Most of the crowd and the generation, and perhaps even the Father, just simply didn't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. They saw him perhaps as we looked at in verse 16, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say I am? A prophet, a healer, a good teacher. Jesus was challenging this, challenging this fact that they weren't acknowledging him for who he truly was, for what his real identity was. And there's an example of this in Luke 17. There's a story, another story, a story of the ten lepers, where Jesus is walking past, uh, in his ministry, he's walking about, and these ten lepers see him. And they plead, they plead for their leprosy, which affects them obviously significantly. They plead for Jesus to heal them, to remove this leprosy from them. Jesus does an astonishing miracle and heals them and speaks to them. He then gives them instructions to go to the temple in order for this part of this healing process. But what happens? Only one, only one of the ten lepers returns and falls before him and worships him and identifies him as more than just a healer and gives him his worship, identifying him as the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the first kind of unbelief that I believe through this passage that Jesus is speaking into. The failure to acknowledge him as their saviour. And I want to challenge people here today and invite you, if you're here today or if you're online, perhaps you've, it's your first time you've ever been in a church service or listening to one, or perhaps you've been here for years and you've been around, you've listened to lots of services online, and you maybe see Jesus as a, a, a wise teacher, a prophet, a healer. Well, I want to challenge you today to put your faith in Jesus as the Messiah, to have your unbelief in who he really is, these signs and these events pointing towards him being the Son of God. I want to challenge you to put your faith in him today, to heed the words from Jesus where he, he says, I've demonstrated myself, I've demonstrated my power. Listen to that today, heed that. But on to the second kind of unbelief. Challenge, Jesus challenges the unbelief of his disciples So why is it different for the disciples slightly? Well, because the disciples have been men that have devoted themselves to following Jesus. They've followed him around. There's a commitment that they've shown which clearly exceeds a lot of what the crowd have demonstrated. They've eyewitnessed many of his most important miracles. They've heard his most important teachings where he's revealed who he is, where he's spoken to them about his 
death and resurrection to come, where he's revealed his true identity to them. Yet they are also challenged on their unbelief. If you look at verse 19, the disciples quite understandably come to Jesus and they're confused. They're confused why they couldn't cast out this demon from the boy. It's not for the want of trying. You don't imagine, I I certainly don't read the story that they, they haven't been trying to see this boy healed. For they know that in Matthew 10, Jesus has commissioned them. He's given them authority to cast out demons, to see people healed. So they're confused. And in verse 19, they ask, they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus, uh, Jesus responds in verse 20, where he says, because of the littleness of your faith. And that's very important we don't misread this. This isn't about the quantity of faith. It's not about measuring the faith that they had. Because if you read verse 20 onwards, he goes on to call them to have little faith. So what's he saying here? Well, he's talking about where are they putting their faith? What is the object of their faith? Are they trusting in their own ability to heal this boy? Or are they completely dependent upon the only one they know who can, the one who commissioned them and the one who gave them the authority to heal in the first place? And this is what Jesus goes on to say. Jesus goes on to say, so in some translations in your Bible, verse 21 might, might not read as, as mine does, but when you put all of the um, manuscripts together, um, that's why I'm confident that, that this is, is there and, and right to, for us to look at today. It says, but this kind does not go out by prayer and fasting. These are actions. Prayer is an action which demonstrates we are emptying ourselves. When we pray that Jesus, that God would do a miracle like this in this story, we are emptying ourselves, saying we have no power, we have no ability to be able to change the situation, but we are praying, we're coming before, and we're crying out to the only one who can. That's what it is, and that's what Jesus challenges them. He says, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. So clearly, this was a a strong demonic possession. This wasn't a kind where they could just cast it out and it would go. They clearly had to persist in their prayer for this child. Now, we, we, we don't know. We don't see if they, if they persisted in this prayer or for, or for how long they prayed. But what we do know is that when Jesus came down from the mountain, there was an argument going on about why they couldn't heal him. So they'd stopped. They hadn't persisted in their prayer, continue praying, until they had seen this boy delivered from the demon that that was torturing him and this showed unbelief this showed unbelief that they weren't through their actions they weren't putting faith in the one who could bring healing we also see though that the disciples demonstrate unbelief in verse 23 so jesus goes on after his explanation about their little when he challenges on their them on their little faith He goes on to tell them again. This is the third time he's told them about his death and resurrection. A significant moment where he's demonstrated who he is is then followed by him telling them about his death and resurrection. Yet, what does it say? It says at the end of verse 23, they are deeply grieved. Okay, perhaps they're grieved because they've heard that the one they've followed, the one they've put their their hope in, is going to die. And that doesn't marry up with their, their... 
understanding of the day that Jesus would be, uh, if you like, a, a military ruler of the time and would take over in that way. Perhaps they're upset about that. But have they just not heard? Jesus has just told them that he's going to rise from the dead. Yes, he will die, but he will rise again. Yet they're left deeply grieved. The, the disciples clearly haven't understood something here. They're showing a, a lack of belief in the mission that Jesus has told them about three times now. Jesus is challenging them. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? He's frustrated and he's grieved that despite all of the evidence of his ministry, particularly to them, those that have been closest to him, that they're still not getting it. They're still not understanding it. Both in, primarily in, in their belief in him as the Messiah, as the Saviour, but also in their faith and in their persistence and their belief that he could heal this boy. So I want to encourage us today, perhaps we want to have a time of confession, whereas in these moments, when we've been faced with these, these moments, uh, uh, like in this story, this sort of really overwhelming moment of how on earth can I, in my, in my human body, what can I do to help this boy that is in distress and his father? You will have situations yourself, I'm sure, where you face that. What I want to challenge you today to, where have you turned in those moments? Have you persisted in prayer? Have you kept going, saying, I'm just going to keep praying until God does something? And even if he doesn't, I'm going to carry on anyway because that's demonstrating my belief in his ability to. I want to challenge us on that. So we might want to confess if there are times where we've, we've turned to our own strength, we've turned to other vices to sort these, these things that need miraculous answers. Moving on to the second statement, Jesus rebukes demons. So Jesus speaks very strongly, strongly to the crowd and to his disciples about unbelief, challenges them on their unbelief. But then I love this. He demonstrates incredible grace and mercy doesn't just condemn them and then leave them. He shows incredible grace and mercy to them. And he does this in two ways. The first way that he does it is obviously by doing an astonishing miracle. He yet again, despite all of the previous signs that he's done, he yet again shows his absolute authority and power over demons and darkness. I don't know if you, if you noticed, but it, it talked about how one of the versions says that when Jesus comes, the, the, the demon starts convulsing in the boy. He starts rolling around, having a seizure again, because the demon is, is aware of the power of Jesus. The demon is aware who, who, he's, in the power, who, who he's before. He knows that he has to submit, that he has no authority that exceeds the power of Jesus. And then we read that it's one phrase, it's one sentence that Jesus says, and this demon comes out. It comes out. And one, the Luke account says they were amazed. Of course they were amazed. Here is this demonic influence that has tortured this poor boy and his father for a period of time. And yet Jesus, through one phrase, one sentence, has commanded this demon and it has come out. This is extraordinary power. 
We can't not sit back and take note about who, who is this person that is doing this. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. The Bible is full of stories about Jesus showing power over demons and darkness. But it also shows, again, how the demons recognize the power of Jesus. They're aware of it. They're aware of who he is. So in Matthew 8, Jesus casts out, there's two, two, two men that are uh, demon-possessed, and uh, they're sort of in caves because the community are so scared of them, and they become violent. Yet Jesus walks, walks near them, and they start debating with him. They start pleading, why have you come to torment us? They say, please put us into the pigs. They know the power that Jesus has as the Son of God. And he casts them out. A favourite story of mine is Acts 16, where a girl who's described as, as having a spirit of divination, she is, has some kind of demonic influence in her, and she's being used by market tellers to fortune tell. Yet Paul and Silas are walking around, and... She keeps crying out after them, going, these are bondservants of the Most High God, and they come to proclaim salvation. There's something, there's something that even in the people of God, those that, had, those that were walking with him, that were followers of him, demons recognise the power of God in them. So we shouldn't be in any way, any way, surprised by the power of Jesus over demonic uh, demonic powers and darkness. He is supremely authoritative over them, and we should take comfort and relief from that. But you might ask, how does that, how does that, how does that look for us today? I don't know about you, but not many of us, some that have gone to, to other countries, not many of us come into direct instances like this. But I can tell you, just as Ephesians 6 says, it is a spiritual battle and demonic influences are around today. They might be a bit more subtle, but they do exist. And these can be things like temptation. Strong temptation can be something that comes to us, that whispers to us, a dark voice. Sometimes there are attacks. There are attacks on people. People become very ill or circumstances where it just seems to have a, a demonic element to it where that person would, is seeming to be taken out as a result of what they're doing for God, the great work. I remember when I came to preach here, actually, on Matthew 8, I had a car crash that week. Um, nothing uh, really serious that took me out. But there was a sense of that. Without us becoming obsessed and looking for it, there was a sense about that that, that seemed to be an attack to throw me off in my preparation for the sermon I was due to bring that Sunday. So we should be aware that these things do exist, but we should take enormous comfort that Jesus in this story has displayed his supreme authority. The demons must submit to him, and there is no, in, there is no darkness that can overcome him. And nowhere is this more apparent than his death and resurrection. This is, if you like, the crowning moment where Jesus shows all authority and power over Satan and his demons. They think they've got him on the cross as he's dying a, a horrific death. 
Yet we know the story, as Jesus says in these very verses, 23, that he, he rose again and he defeated death once and for all. So I want to ask us, do we spend time marvelling on the amazing power and the authority of Jesus? Do we read chapters and stories like this and just think, yeah, another miracle. Jesus is a cool guy, isn't he? Or do we stop to think, wow, wow, this man really is the son of God. He is amazing. I love that we sung songs about it earlier on, didn't we? That's why we can sing these songs, because we can marvel at him. We can marvel at his mercy and grace. I want to ask you, when we face temptation or attack, when we face these subtle dark forces, spiritual opposition, what do we do? Do we try to, when we face temptation, when we face uh, sickness and health, do we fall before God and do we persist in prayer that he might move in a powerful way in these things? Or do we turn to our own strength? Do we turn to our own devices? I want to encourage us to show belief, to show belief in the only one who can change our situations, particularly when we face really overwhelming obstacles like the one in this story. So Jesus shows his mercy to the Father. He he answers his prayer by doing this wonderful miracle. But he also shows mercy yet again to this unbelieving generation by yet again demonstrating through an astonishing sign and miracle who he is, pointing towards the fact that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, so much more than just a miracle worker and, and healer. So on to our last point. Jesus calls the disciples to mustard seed-sized faith. So Jesus calls his disciples to have small amounts of faith in him. And when they do, they will experience breakthroughs. Jesus uses the mustard seed. He's already used it, actually. He used it in Matthew 13 when he was talking about the kingdom of God. And he talks about the mustard seed because, and it says in the Matthew 13 verses, it says, It is smaller than any other seed. Jesus knows, and I think this is another way Jesus is showing his mercy. He's calling them to show just a small, a small amount of faith and belief in him. As we spoke about earlier when he's he's talking about the, he's talking about the unbelief, challenging that. He's saying, if you just show just a mustard, a tiny fragment of faith in me, me as the son of God, then break through Will, will happen you should expect it because we know that when we bring our small faith we bring it as we've just read in how he how he healed this boy we know we bring it to an all-powerful and mighty God and he multiplies it and this is a, a biblical there's a biblical precedent of, you, of this if you like of us bringing small things and God multiplying it to make something miraculous so you may have heard the story of feeding of the 5,000. Quite a, a well-known story, even outside of churches. Thousands of people who need to eat. And Jesus, they've been with Jesus, listening to his teaching. Some of the disciples are saying, send them home, send them home, let them sort themselves out. But someone steps forward and he asks, for, has anyone got any food? And a little boy steps forward with his lunchbox. Brings something so meagre and small. And yet, God multiplies it into an abundant feast that feeds everyone and there are leftovers. 
Another story in the Bible. The faith of the centurion. The centurion has um, uh, someone who is, is sick and he sends a message, he sends a messenger to God and says, uh, to Jesus, sorry, and says, please ask for Jesus to, to, to heal this case of sickness. And Jesus enters into a discussion, asks him to come, and he says, the centurion says, I don't even need you to come. Shows a small amount of faith. I don't even need you to come here. Just your words alone. Bringing a small fragment. There's also finally the, the story of the widow. The widow of a prophet in 2 Kings 4. Where she's in a desperate situation. Her, her two boys are about to be taken off to pay for debts. To be taken as slaves. And all she's got is a jar of oil. And yet... An amazing miracle takes place where, for a prophet of God, she's told to get jars from all her friends. This small offering of this one jar of oil becomes an ever-multiplying amount. There is a precedent of how we bring our smallness, our mustard seed-like faith and belief in him, and how he multiplies that to be something we could never imagine. I think the mustard seed is also really helpful imagery though because as it talks about in Matthew 13 where Jesus talks about the mustard seed like being like the kingdom of God mustard seeds can take time to grow so it talks about how the mustard seed is sown but then becomes not just a plant it becomes a tree something massively abundant that goes on to serve others and to do way more than you can imagine from just putting a mustard seed in the ground but it takes time so sometimes this is the mustard seed size faith we have to show. That we have to keep persisting in prayer, as Jesus encourages the disciples to do in this case. We have to keep bringing it before him, knowing that it might not happen the first time. It might be a continual, uh, a lengthy process, because that's what it takes for a mustard seed to grow. We must also remember that sometimes God chooses in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, not to heal or not to heal in the way that we quite expected. And that's okay because that's another chance for us to show our mustard seed-like faith. We can bring it before him. We can say, I still choose. I still choose to, to pray and bring these things before you, knowing that you know best, knowing that you're sovereign, knowing that you have all wisdom and that what you choose is, is the best path. But... We're going to still keep coming. We're going to still keep praying for these things. And I think it's quite... No, nowhere more um, in this story is, is, it, is it more prominent that there are two ways that we, we apply the mustard seed size faith. And they mirror the two areas that we've read in the first one about Jesus' unbelief. So the, the primary way that we show mustard seed-like faith is in Jesus' death and resurrection. So as I said earlier, this is the third time now. This is the third time that, Jesus, that a significant moment has been followed by Jesus speaking about his death and resurrection. He has shown how important his death and resurrection is and the belief in that and what that does for us. He has shown that, the importance, and he does that again here. And this is the primary way. I would say this is the primary way we can exercise mustard seed-like faith. It's to believe in Jesus' death and resurrection.
Paul says in, in, a, in a, a, a typically Paul way, he says, if, it, if the resurrection, if the death and resurrection didn't happen, we're all wasting our time. There's no, there's no point to it. But praise God that it did happen. It did happen exactly as Jesus proclaims in this story that it would. And when we, earlier, if you, if you partook in communion, that's what we do. When we take communion, we as believers, that's, that's a declaration of our faith. We are showing our belief in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That he took away our sin and our shame. Defeated death. Defeated the spiritual darkness that, that, that opposed us and made a way for us to be in relationship with him. So that's the primary way, I would say, that we show mustard-sized faith, even if we just bring our small belief to him in his death and resurrection. The second way is clearly, as we said, Jesus responds to them and calls them to this mustard-seed-like faith. He calls them to that in the context of this story, obviously, where they're met with this boy that they can't heal. And he, 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 he commands them, says, if you show mustard seed like faith in me, you will see mountains moved. Now, Jesus is not literally saying, spend your afternoon after this going and, and seeing if you can move mountain A to mountain B. That's not what he's saying here. But what he is talking about is that if we show even a tiny bit of faith in his ability to do a miracle like he has in this story, in his ability to change situations, we should, have, we should have an expectation that we will often see breakthrough. Because that's what he talks about here. And we do that through continuing to bring our, our mountains, if you like. What, what are your mountains that you are facing, you may, might be facing today? Perhaps it's healing. I know there's a, a, across a lot of the church, there's there's, there's a lot of sickness going around at the moment. There's people that we might have lifted up multiple times before. Well, are we going to persist in continuing to pray for them to see breakthrough? It might be breakthrough over temptation. Maybe a sin that you, you, you just can't stop saying yes to, you can't stop giving in to. That that might, if we show our faith, as it says, that if we look, if we look towards Jesus in those moments, he will show us a way out of temptation. Perhaps that, that's the mountain which you, you long to see moved. And there's so many other, other examples. But we know that we've been called to persistence in prayer. You might know in Luke 18, there's the persistence of the widow. The story about where she, she keeps coming and pleading her case before the judge. We know that we're called to that. Just as Jesus has said to the disciples, we're called to keep bringing our prayer requests to him. Knowing that he often does do miracles. But even if, even if he doesn't, we're still putting our trust and our hope in him. I know for me, there's two illustrations, uh, two things where I've, I've had to see mustard seed like faith. Um, and one of it, for us as a church, with our youth work, me and Duncan were praying and saw the need to do something with our, our youth-aged um, children in the church. And just, just was reminded of... of the feeding of the 5,000, and, and exactly that, how we had meagre offerings, but God did wonders out of it. So we set about doing a, doing a, youth, a youth work, which we hope to do every other week, um, but we could only do once a month because there were only enough volunteers to enable us to do that. 
So I've been battling, I've been praying, I've been persistently coming before God saying, please, I just, just want, to see break, I want to see breakthrough. I want to see um, this run every other week because I'm so confident that that will do wonders for the, the, the lives of our youth in our church. And completely unprompted, my wife said to me, just, just after I come back from a prayer walk actually, she said, I will serve on youth. And that has enabled us to do youth every other week. This is something I've been battling with in prayer. Where I've had to keep coming before God. The second thing that, I, that I, I'm trying to, to show the application of mustard seed like face is, is continuing to bring my non-Christian friends and family before him. There are people that I long, I long to see come to know this truth. To show this belief that Jesus has been calling them and us to. Yet, the mustard seed-like faith that I have to keep showing is by, by my persistence in prayer. I have to keep coming, bringing these names of these people before him, longing that, he might, that we might see breakthrough and trusting that when we don't, that he knows best and it's, it's in his sovereign plan. So Jesus calls the disciples and us to exercise mustard seed-like faith, to bring our smallness for these things. He doesn't call us to, to do loads of miracles. He doesn't call us to be a people that, that, that experience and witness loads of breakthrough. That's not what he calls us to. He calls us to do the bringing our small faith part. And then the outcome of that will be in amongst our lives that we will see many, many breakthroughs that we can rejoice in, that we can give him all the glory for. This is the fruit of us showing mustard seed-sized faith. So as I wrap up today, and I think there should be a... Oh, you've already got it up, Johnny. Thank you. You can see some lovely mustard seeds behind me. Um, you may want to respond now in a time of confession. You may want to come and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for times where I've looked within at my own ability and my own strength to see breakthrough in these areas where I've not trusted you, I've trusted in my own ability. You may want to come in this time and you may want to say, Lord, I, I want to accept you as my saviour. I want to believe in your de death and resurrection. But please know, even in these times of confession, his mercy and grace are with you. Let us in this time, as we, as we come to an end, let us meditate and rejoice in Jesus' magnificent victory over spiritual darkness and demons. I loved our time of worship. It's so appropriate. Whilst we experience opposition, we know that as believers, he has the ultimate victory over all of these things. And let us seed the call to exercise mustard seed-like faith regularly. We do that in proclaiming his death and resurrection. But we also do it by continuing to bring areas in our lives that we want to see breakthrough in. Where we want to see mountains moved in that sense. So I want us to stand and respond. And I want us to pray. I want us to pray, use this moment to pray for... Those moments, what are those, what are those things in your life where you are longing to see breakthrough? As I said, it might be seeing your non-Christian friends and family come to faith. It might be 
victory over temptation and habitual sin in your life. It might be a healing, like in this story. You might want to see a, a miraculous healing. Whatever your thing is this morning, I want you to take a, t- take a time now to just lift that up and to say, Lord, you are sovereign. You are in control. You have shown yourself to be authoritative over all things. And we bring these things before you this morning, knowing that if you choose in your wisdom and in your sovereignty not to, 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 to bring breakthrough, that's, that's, your, that's his. You leave that with him. But in this moment, let's, let's be those that, that bring our things in prayer and petition to him, seeking to see breakthrough in these things. So if you, if, if you can stand, that would be great as a, just to get yourself going to respond. And if we, if we pray... And then I will wrap, wrap up in prayer for us after a couple of minutes of us bringing these things before, before God. Lord I thank you I want to just confess and say sorry Lord for my unbelief sorry in times when I have turned to my own devices where I have in in my actions I have doubted your ability to move wonderfully in situations but I thank you that we have a merciful and a graceful God Lord that you are a God that turns the small into the big that I brought my sin and my shame and my belief in you and you multiplied that into a relationship with God you made a way through the death and resurrection of Christ and we rejoice in that we rejoice in what you have done in our lives we thank you for the victory once and for all over death and over Satan and I pray Lord Jesus for my brothers and sisters as they've lifted up things as we've all lifted up our mountains that we would like to see like to, to see breakthrough in we would like to see moved i pray that we would continue to do our bit i pray that we would continue to bring our our small faith to you in these things demonstrated through our persistent prayer and i pray lord i pray that we would see amazing breakthrough in our church i pray for the things that people have been lifting up to you this morning wouldn't it be great if in, in the next days and weeks we can have testimonies to rejoice in about how you have moved in our lives? But I finally do pray, Lord. I pray for us also to have small faith, but strong faith in your ability as a merciful, graceful God to make 
good decisions, to make wise decisions in our lives. And I thank you that you, do, you are with us no matter what happens. We just thank you, God. You're, a, you're an amazing God who does amazing things like in this story we've heard today. Thank you for the privilege of being in relationship with you. Help us in our unbelief, Lord, and, and let us be people of faith that, that cling to you, that look to you as the object of our faith because you are worthy of it. Amen.